I think it's changing. The role is changing as we speak. I don't think it's going away, the dealer. I think the value proposition is changing, and I think technology has a lot to do with that. But I think the sooner the dealership understands how to make it a little bit easier for the customer, how to speed up the process, how to help with the decision-making process, I think that those three things are key to figuring out how well they're going to do in the future. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Trend Report Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about all things contract interiors. My name is Sid Meadows, and I'm your host. I'm a business strategist and certified professional coach and a longtime student of the office furniture industry. And I'm excited that you're joining us today. And my hope is that you will gain some insights, inspiration, and motivation that will help you grow and your business grow. So let's dive into today's conversation. The Trend Report is proudly sponsored by The Insider a weekly newsletter delivering a quick dose of insights to get your Monday off to a well-informed start. The Insider combines meaningful industry perspective with recommended reads and product solutions, offering valuable intelligence and inspiration to anyone working in commercial interiors. To learn more about The Insider or to subscribe for free, please visit indeal.org slash The Insider. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Trend Report. Man, I'm glad you're joining us today, and welcome to season number four. It's really hard to believe that here we are starting out 2023 and season number four, and I'm excited that you're joining us today. And we're going to spend the first couple of months in season four talking about the future and what does the future look like in our industry and all different aspects of the industry. And we're going to kick it off today talking about the future of the office furniture dealer. And I am really excited to welcome Jorge Anaya to the show today. Jorge, welcome. It's great to have you here. Sid, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we got connected through a mutual friend that we may or may not talk about later on down the road, but I'm very interested in what you guys are doing. And I asked my friend Michael to make an introduction, which he did. And here we are a few months later. So kick us off for just a minute and tell us who you are and what you do and the company that you work with. Yeah, definitely. So Jorge and I, I am a principal and CFO here at Hendrickson and Company been here about four and a half years. I can take you through a little bit of my background, but uh yeah, it's it's been it's been almost four and a half years that I've I've joined the company here based out of Chicago. So Hendrickson, you guys are an all steel dealer, one of the largest in the country, lots of acquisition that you've been doing over the last several years, which is part of the reason I wanted to talk to you because I think you guys have a clear vision of your future to really explore today about the future of the dealer. But let's dive into you just a little bit. And you've been there four and a half years. You're the CFO. So tell us a little bit about you and how did you get to Hendrickson and tell us about your history. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll try to I'll try to make the long story short. But basically, you know, after completing an MBA at the University of Iowa almost 20 years ago, which sounds crazy, but it's been it's been that long. I was fortunate enough to uh, be recruited by a manufacturer, an office furniture manufacturer. H&I Corporation. And I started there in corporate finance. And that's really how I got into office furniture, not knowing that there was an industry, not knowing. I mean, I was a numbers guy, still a numbers guy, but uh, I, I, that, that's how I got in. And then had a career there for 15 years, mostly in finance, but then I gravitated towards 
distribution and I gravitated towards their development. And so only logical that I would, you know, eventually end up at, at, at one of the, the best largest dealers that they have. Right. So, mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of how the transition happened for me in terms of how I, I, I moved from a manufacturer, which was great, great people, great career, uh, great company. Now towards the dealer side of things where, you know, we're, we're kind of at the hip. We have an excellent relationship with them, you know, but now on, on, on the different side of, of the, uh, mm-hmm. of the industry, so to speak. So you said something that I, it, it's very true. There's so many people that don't know that our industry exists. They're, I mean, they, I don't know why they just magically think office furniture just appears one day and don't realize that we're actually an industry of thousands of companies and thousands upon thousands of people that work in it. But compared to like the airline industry, we're really, really small. So what do you think is, because I will add this, attraction of new people into our industry is one of the biggest challenges that our industry has as a whole. What would you say is like one of the best practices that collectively as an industry we could do to spread the word about our industry, but also help attract new talent into our industry? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of things, but, you know, things like like your podcast, for example, is definitely a channel or, or a, a way to spread the word and uh, shed light on everything that the industry is about. You know, when you, when you talk about the different roles, the different people that work in the industry, I mean, you have everything from, you know, installers to uh, finance folks and, and everything in between, designers, reps, account executives, you name it, right? So I think one of the things for me, as I've been in the industry and, you know, the staying power of the industry for me has been the people, the relationships, the connections that that we all we all have and we all and we all make and you know w- once you get in you know we, we kind of joke about well you, you can't really get out so you, you're in and you're in for life which is which is at least for me so far has has proven to be the the fact but I think it's been the diversity of the things that I've been exposed to that I've been involved with that I've had the, the, the opportunity to, to learn about. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not one thing. It's a lot of things and there's a lot of room there to move around. So I, I think for me, that's, that's key. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's one thing that people don't understand is all the different diverse job functions that exist in our industry, whether it's finance, manufacturing, sales, design, I mean, you name it. It exists and it's such a great opportunity. And you kind of exhibit it that you grow in the industry. I mean, you started at finance at a manufacturer and now 10, 15 years later, you're a principal of one of the largest distributors in the country. And it just goes to show the opportunity that exists inside of our industry. That's exactly right. I mean, unbeknownst to me, I was was taking steps towards kind of where, where, where I'm at right now, you know. Starting finance, but then moving into distribution and then being involved in mergers and acquisitions. Well, that turned out to be key for, for my development, key for my future, you know, skill set that I was, sure. I was going to need and, and needed to, to have, you know, the expertise to be able to, to execute, uh, at that level. So like, again, it was the exposure. It was the moving around. It was the learning as you go and growing as you go. And then eventually you kind of find kind of the spot that you want to sort of stay with, or at least make it your your, sure. your bread and butter, and then stick to that. 
So now you're the CFO here. And one of the things you had mentioned to me previously was that you're not a traditional CFO. So can you explain that a little bit? What does that mean you're not a traditional? Because when I hear CFO, I think about a bean counter and I'm going to get yelled at because my hotel stay was $10 more than the expense policy allowed and all that kind of stuff. So tell me what a not traditional CFO means. Yeah. So, you know, I got I to gotta answer carefully here because I, I don't, <laughs> don't want to offend my my CFO colleagues here, but at the same time, I, I don't own a, a green visor. I am not what you would, you know, I, I don't fit the stereotype that you, that you mentioned. Again, within finance, always gravitated towards distribution, deal making, a little bit uh, more on the operation side of things as well. And I always, I guess I learned to understand and appreciate the front end of the business, what makes it go. And then, you know, understand who takes care of all of that and who actually makes it happen. And that was all having exposure to real life experience in a dealership and companies that do that for a living, right? So mm-hmm. so for me, I think I kind of ended up in this job having the background of finance, but I, I didn't kind of grow up in like a finance specific role. I kind of went back to it, given that that's kind of sure. how, I, how I grew up, you know? Well, I think, you know, being able to be strategic, understanding what drives the business, which most people listening to this podcast will know the answer to that question is sales is what drives the business, right? Customers drive the business. And then being able to have a vision for the future and a vision of where the business will go. And so Hendrickson started out as a small family distributor dealer in the Chicagoland area. And now you've grown into one of the largest, if not the largest, also dealers in the country. What was the catalyst that said, hey, we want to grow and we want to grow strategically. And the way to do that is via acquisition because you've made multiple acquisitions in the last couple of years. So what was the catalyst for that decision in that direction? Yeah, I think, you know, back to your point about the company, we just celebrated our 60th year. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And, you know, obviously we we uh we take care of that legacy and, and we take care of, of of the company that that we are responsible for because it, it is it is a mom and pop shop that that grew and grew and grew and now and now it is what what it is and so for us when we talk about growth you know it was it was not only leave something better that we found it but it was also how do we position the company and how we position our partners as well strategically for the future so that the long term is is a much better proposition for our clients, for employees, and for you know again our our manufacturing partners. So it, it wasn't one thing specifically, but I think we did a lot of soul searching. We did a lot of work internally during the pandemic to make sure that we had our house in order, so to speak, so that coming out we we would be able to take advantage of you know opportunities that the market would provide and you know close relationships that we have. That eventually, you know, as discussions happen, the one plus one equals three conversation happens. And then, you know, that's, that's kind of where, where we landed. So you might remember years ago, and I'm going to say this is probably 10 years ago, there was this conversation that was bubbling around in our industry. And I think it was started by one of the other major brands about the concept of the hub and spoke so that a dealer would have one central hub and then they would have spoked locations all across the United States. And it lasted for maybe a couple of years and then kind of died away 
is the strategy that you guys are using as well as other large dealers, because there are several dealers similar to you doing very similar things, is that a just a different version of a hub and spoke mentality or is it completely different? I think for us is it's a little bit different. We're, we don't think about it as hub and spoke. We we think about it as scale as it relates to the value proposition that our customers are demanding, requiring, or needing. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that that has changed. Consolidation has happened in a lot of industries and a lot of other uh, segments of, of the economy. So I think that's a trend that has happened. And I think it, it resonates with the end of the day with the consumer or whoever is doing the procurement or the, mm-hmm. the, the opportunity uh, seeking process. So I think for us, it's not so much a hub and spoke for, for us. It's a little bit more of how do we scale up so that the value proposition for a Fortune 500 to uh, an individual consumer or a small, medium-sized outfit is attractive, you know, and, and, you know, the concept of you get the same feel, you get the same experience, you get the same attention wherever you go, uh, that we still hold very, very much in. And I think that's very much in alignment with like the development of your brand, right? When we think about certain brands, and we'll just pick on Starbucks for a second, or Chick-fil-A as an example. When you go to either one of those locations, you know exactly what you're going to get. Exactly. Right? The feel is the same. You know the quality for the most part, because everybody has a bad day. The quality of your coffee is going to be what, you know, Fort Worth, Texas is going to be what the quality of the coffee is in Chicago, Illinois. And that has very much to do with the brand that has been put forth by those organizations. You're doing the same thing by ensuring that your customers and your your employees are also your customer and your customers, designers, specifiers, that the Hendrickson location in Nashville, Tennessee versus Washington, D.C. versus Chicago, Illinois is the same experience across the board. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that that is ultimately the end goal. It's a process, obviously, it's a journey, but ultimately, you know, and, and you talk about the, the Starbucks and the, you know, I, I've been to a Starbucks in Madrid. I've been to a Starbucks in Paris. So no, we're not only talking domestically, we're talking about, sure. you know, wherever the, wherever the customer is going or wherever they're needing to go to be able to do that. So that, that is, that is a concept. The concept is the experience is the same. You, you get the same feel, you get the same experience, mm-hmm. you get the same outcome, and it's a great one. And I think it's important here, you used a word that I really like, which is journey. And I think it's important to understand that this is a journey because there's no end destination that says, hey, we are a perfect organization. We have to keep evolving. Everybody has to keep evolving and changing because the market around us is changing, right? And so it's an evolution to continue to provide the best experience and the best service for our customers. Definitely. I, I come from a, from a rapid continuous improvement mentality. Mm-hmm. That's where I come from. That's, you know, that's what uh, I cut my teeth with as I was coming up. So yeah, it's, you know, how can we make it better? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can we do it better, faster, you know, more valuable? More cost effective and more profitable, right? Let's not forget those two things because those are very important, exactly right. right? Right. So let's talk a little bit about our industry. So, you know, we had an industry that existed prior to 2019 that operated one way. And then we had this event in 2020 that I'm not going to name. We had this event in 2020 that kind of stopped us in our tracks for a couple of years. And now we're emerging on the other side of it. And there's a lot that has changed in our industry. 
with that, what do you feel are the three biggest challenges that are facing the dealer community today? That's a good question, Sid, for sure. So let me just, I'll try back up and then try to answer the question this way. So for us, you know, going into the event that will not be named and then coming out, I think what we learned and what we have learned so far is that the, let's just call it the digital dexterity that we that, that we thought was going to be it, that was going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have it, then it was going to be very hard for you to compete. That got that got fast forwarded for sure. But at the same time, what we learned was that relationships are still very much the the foundation, the bedrock mm-hmm. of of what we do and how we do it. And there are buying models still out there, and they cannot execute what they're trying to do without somebody like the dealer in between. And so I think it's changing. The role is changing as we speak. I don't think it's going away. The dealer. I think the value proposition is changing, and I think technology has a lot to do with that. But I think you know the 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 sooner the dealership understands how to make it a little bit easier for the customer, how to how to speed up the process, how to help with the decision making process. I think those two those three things are, are key to figuring out how how well they're going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. So it has to do with you know. How do you get ahead? How do you adapt? But at the same time, making sure that you are very, very close to what the customer is doing as well, because they, the customer is also adapting to this new reality, right? And, you know, some buying models are changing. Some are still the same. But at the end of the day, you know, we all want it easier. We all want it faster. We all want more efficiency. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's also true for, for our industry and for, for what we do. So you bring up a couple of really good points. And some of the things that I heard were we need to embrace technology and not walk away from it. And technology is changing everywhere we look from. I mean, I remember my very first job was at an office furniture dealer. I remember the day we got our first computer and we were drawing on a black screen with green dots. We had one computer and one person that could do AutoCAD. I mean, I remember that. And (laughs) technology is just constantly changing. And we have to learn to embrace new technologies that come on to understand how they can help us be more efficient and move your business and our industry forward. I think that's the first thing I heard. Yeah. The second thing I heard, which I think is also really important, is to speed up the process. Because our process from customer introduction to installation, it's not easy. It is extremely complicated. And if we can condense that and make it more efficient, and faster than everybody in the value proposition or in the value chain, we make more money. Right. We're more profitable when we can speed things up and condense things down. So that was the second thing I heard. And the third thing I think is really, really important, which is be a partner. Be a partner. And that's not just with your customers, but that's also with your brands. And realizing that mistakes happen, problems, unfortunately, are rampant in our industry. And we have to come together as a partnership between manufacturer, dealer, and end user, and in some cases, the interior design firm, to solve those problems. But they're going to be solved the best if we truly partner together. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for that, by the way. And when you think about dealerships moving forward, what do you believe that the future of the dealer is going to be like? Because I agree with you 
that the dealer is not going away. It will always be something that we need in our industry and in this in the value chain. I do believe the role of the dealer is evolving. So how do you see it evolving in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, obviously we have to start with technology and leveraging whatever is out there, you know, as it relates to customer facing applications that make it easier, that keep you more informed and updated as to what's going on. But also, you know, when you talk about visualization and tools of that of that nature, I mean, that's obviously something that we've all sort of been you know, playing around with and trying to figure out how to best utilize those tools, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's about it's all the convenience again and going back to that. But I also think that you know, as it evolves, I think that the dealer needs to step up uh, a little bit of the expertise that I think is the key to the value proposition. So, at the end of the day, you know, people come to us for you know counsel for really opinions or to basically tell them. Kind of here's kind of how you do that. If you want to do this, this is what we recommend. Or basically just say, Hey, I can do it all for you. You just got to tell me, you know, a few items here and, and we can go from there. And so I think that level of whether it's training, whether it's development, whether it's, you know, raising the bar from a skill set, from a knowledge perspective, from, uh, just that craft perspective, mm-hmm. I think that needs to be a constant and it probably needs to be accelerated a little bit in terms of, you know, how much of a expert opinion is valued. So the frequent listeners to the show probably know exactly what I'm about to say, because you just hit on something that I am super passionate about, which is, I do believe all of us, the dealer, consultants and coaches like me, manufacturers, We need to focus on being a student of our industry and becoming industry experts and not product experts, right? Because if your salespeople or your business development people walk in to meet with a customer, they need to be able to understand that the brand name, forgive me to all the brands out there, you know, I love you, but just go with me here. The brand name of the product you're selling is irrelevant. What's relevant is the solution that we provide to the customer based on the business problems that they have. And if we don't understand the industry, and we're not an expert in our industry, we don't understand things like biophilic design or things like uh, what it really means to be in a hybrid workplace, and we can't educatedly talk about those, then we're not doing the service to our customer to get the business that we need so much. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, ultimately, you know, when we talk about buying models and we talk about how we consume products out there, that's a little bit of the differentiation between, you know, I can buy something online, but at the end of the day, you know, some of us do actually still go to the store and we might not buy it there, but we try it on there. We kind of look at it in real life. There's still the physical aspect of what we do, which mm-hmm. is important. And I think that's kind of where you... You know, there's a there's a difference between seeing something online and doing reviews, going into a store, touching it, and then asking the person there to tell you, you know, what is what is this about? Is there something coming out next? Mm-hmm. Tell me about the product. Tell me about and tell me about the industry. So it's a different conversation that it depends on how you you buy and how much worth you put on the expertise that somebody can share with you. Mm-hmm. That ultimately proves to be, you know, brand loyal, or that's why you keep going back to the same things because, you know, 
your decision making to either begin that relationship with them was was done in the best possible way with the best possible information and with the best possible expertise. So thank you for adding that. And I think it's spot on. And the way you do that is by education, by learning and education. You do that by reading industry magazines. You do that by reading research articles and following thought leaders that are sharing information about healthcare trends or trends in government or whatever it is so that you as a owner, as a CFO, as a salesperson, as a designer can be up to date so that you're talking to your customers about what's really happening inside our industry. And, you know, we have to stay ahead of the curve and leveraging technology is one of the things that you said, you've gone back to it a couple of times. So I have a question about that. What do you think the future is as it relates to artificial intelligence? (laughs) You're laughing. Have you been asked that question before? (laughs) I was wondering, somebody mentioned to me, uh, you know, chat GPT. Oh, and, dude, have you tried it? <laughs> and uh, uh, very briefly, but it's uh, it's mind-blowing. It is and, totally mind-blowing. And so I, I think, uh, you know, as, as we as we chuckle and we, 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 we talk about that, I mean, there's definitely, it's early, right? And, you know, not only our industry, but I mean, the, the, the whole spectrum is, is trying to understand and trying to kind of figure out how this fits and, and, and how do we make it something that is part of our, you know, lives going yep. forward and, and, and where, you know, again, kind of what do we do with this? Because when you first get it, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's exciting, but at the same time, you get overwhelmed fairly yes. quickly and it's like, okay, so what, what does this mean? And what is this going to do? And so, you know, that's definitely something that uh, we're coming up here on strategic planning uh, time. And, you know, we're looking at topics and we're looking at sort of what we want to do for our 10 year and three year and one year horizons. Sure. And that's I can tell you that that's that's for sure one of one of the uh, items that's that's on there because we need to start thinking about that. And we need to start talking about, you know, what what technology is going to mean and what what does this mean right now and into the future and what can we do or or start doing in order to at least be relevant and be having some exploratory conversations or even engagements as to you know what mm-hmm. can we do with this so so i want to go back for just a hot second and explain chat gpt for those of you listening that don't know what it is it is an ai system that you can go to open.ai i believe or op- I don't know. There, I'll, we'll find the link and we'll put it in the show notes for you guys. You can click on it and you can go try Chat GPT. So George Paul Thomas, and you can literally tell it to do something and it does it. So <laughs> in the entrepreneur community and the coach community, this has kind of come up a lot because I talked about it and went to their website. Um, all my social media channels are full of Chat GPT information. Specifically, TikTok is like crazy with them. And so you can actually, like, I'll tell you what I told it to do. The other day I said, please write an expense policy for an office furniture manufacturer. And I gave it some more parameters. In 15 seconds, I had an expense policy that I downloaded, copied into a document, read through it and went, okay, this needs to be changed. This needs to be changed. We need to add this. And in less than 30 minutes, I had created an expense policy. And I've had a friend that uh, he owns a e-commerce company and he thrives on blogs, right? And yep. he was telling me, he said, I usually write one blog a week. It takes me about two to three hours. In two hours, this was a couple of days ago. He said, in two hours yesterday, 
I wrote five blogs because it's so smart. And I'm just fascinated by what it does. So I'm I'm very interested to see how this impacts our industry and how our industry, if they decide to use something like this, how they decide to use it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're right there with you. It's still a big question mark. And right now, I think, you know, just like you, I'm having fun with it. But at some point, it's like, okay, I mean, this is real stuff and, and it has real application mm-hmm. in, in what we do professionally, right? So I think it's worth not only just, uh, hey, just put it on the board and we'll come back to it. It's worth at least some dialogue, some some discussion as to, you know, what can we do with this? So last comment about this and we'll move on to the next topic. Another friend of mine said he got an angry email from a customer. And so he went into chat GPT, wrote some parameters about asking it to write a response to this email. And he said it came up with the most beautiful response that I would have never been able to write. And I'm thinking, what a great use, because we've all got you smiling and laughing, uh, but we've all gotten those emails, somebody yelling at us, right? So you could go copy it and ask it to write a positive response to this email. Yeah, I hear you. I, I guess maybe some of us need the help too to write the mean ones as well. But uh, <laughs> I would imagine you could ask it to write a mean, mean email, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. So I really appreciate the conversation we've had so far. I got one last topic I want to talk about for just a few minutes, and that's customer experience. Amanda Snyder, I'm not sure if you know Amanda or not, but she was yeah, a guest on an episode 108. And Amanda and I talked a lot about the industry. And one of the things she said that was emerging pre-lockdowns, if you will, that was emerging was that our industry is really now about relationships and creating that. I think the terminology she used, the currency in our industry is now relationships slash customer experience. And I 100% agree with her. So I'm really curious as to, as you look into the future, what is it that you at Hendrickson, what are you doing to create that customer experience that keeps the customer coming back? Yeah, so we we know Amanda, we we love Amanda. Uh, we've worked with her, and is and we've we've done some recent things with her specifically on this topic. Mm. We here we actually do have a department, a, a team, quite charging one, and it's a customer experience team. And the focus is both internal and external. So internal meaning, you know, what is the experience for the employee? How does that feel? But but also, you know, externally. As it relates to the customers, that relates to how do we bring value to what they're doing, and you know how does our value proposition really hold water mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? So for us, I mean, it's and the interesting the interesting thing about this this unit said if you ask them, they would tell you, I mean, we're basically touching everything, and one could say, well, they're all over the place. Well, yeah, but it's kind of discipline chaos, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they exactly know what to touch, how to touch it, and then and then pull out and then go to the next thing and then go to the next thing. So some things take more than others. But at the end of the day, the, the North Star is if it doesn't help, if it doesn't do anything good for the client, then we need to think about it twice. Then, then it's not, probably not worth doing, or you know, it, we're probably better off doing something else. Mm-hmm. As it relates to you know, simple things as as you know, just tools that make things easier. You know, e-signing or you know, concepts like fast office where you can assign things really quickly, and you know, you have something in front of you right away, so you can make a decision faster. So, just how technology interfaces ultimately between us and the client, I think that's kind of 
the, the cross section for for these mm-hmm. folks in terms of you know how do we bring value not only from a process perspective from an experience perspective but also from a tool capability a technological you know advance that can help the consumer do do what they do well, first off, let me congratulate you on having an entire department that's focused on customer experience because it is it is really important. I also appreciate how you have divided it into two categories, which is also very important into external and internal because I think a lot of companies, and I'm generalizing, don't understand that your employees are also your customers in a different way, and they need to have an amazing experience with you and your brand and your business just as much as the external customer does. Because right. our people fuel our business, right? People fuel our business. And so creating that, so congratulations to you on having both of those. And I really, really appreciate that def- definition of the North Star. And, you know, I wonder, and the, the tip that I got out of that, and I hope the listeners did too, is if you're not focused on customer experience, you need to be. If you don't have a department or maybe you can't have a department, then look outside or to other resources to help you understand what customer experience is. For me, I mean, I'm reading a book right now that is all about this. It's called Unreasonable Hospitality. Have you heard that book? I haven't. Oh, yeah. It, uh, hang on. I'm going to grab it. So it's this book. I'm ho- if you're watching on YouTube, I'm holding the book up. It's called Unreasonable Hospitality, and it's by Will Gerard. Yeah. And it's published by Simon Sinek in his publishing company. It's an amazing book that talks about the remarkable power of giving people more than they expect. Now, what's interesting about this book, Jorge, is it's all about the restaurant business. But every chapter in this book can be applied to our industry. And that's why I'm reading it, because I think it's so important that we, as an industry, truly understand what it means to create an unbelievable customer experience for our customers. So that's my big takeaway is go create something. Because remember, this starts when they're on your website. It's not just talking to your people. This starts on social media. I mean, what kind of experience does the client or the prospect have with your business any place they can interact with you? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, going kind of back to full circle here. So, you know, when you talk about growth and when you talk about acquisitions and when you talk about consistency on the experience, you know, these folks are key to making sure that that integration, those processes, that feel that acquisitions need to have is, is there. So, so, you know, they, they have proven to be very, very helpful and, and critical in making sure that, again, it's a journey, but that whole, how do we adopt best practices? How do we become better all around? How do we adopt, you know, however everybody does it best and then do it across when it comes to growth? Without this group, it, it would have been really, really difficult to really talk about, you know, how do we acquire how do we adopt best practices? How do we integrate? How do we do it quickly? And so, you know, it kind of served its purpose. And that was a little bit of the thought process behind it. It's not only going to do everything that we just talked about, right. but also when it comes to growth, I mean, having a group like that is has been, has been very, very essential for us. That's awesome. So, Bore, I really appreciate you joining us today, giving us a little bit of a glimpse inside Hendrickson and what you guys are doing and sharing your thoughts about the future of the dealer and the industry. So I have one last question for you, actually two last questions, but the next question for you is what tip or advice 
would you share with our dealer community about helping maneuver their way through what's going on in our industry right now to get to the other side? What, what kind of tip would you give them about the future? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, I feel I should be asking that question as well to everybody out there. But, uh, you know, again, I think for us, uh, it has a lot to do with, I mean, it, and it might sound basic, but for us, it has been all about, you know, making sure that that the culture is taken care of, that you pay a lot of attention to that. And we have been doing that very intentionally for a while now. So I think that's, you know, especially in times like these is critical. Mm -hmm. So don't over overlook that. And then at the, at the same time, you know, try to stay ahead a little bit of the consumer sort of trends and how, how clients are starting to change their, their buying habits. You know, so basically it's how our clients evolved. Are they adapting? And if so, what are we doing to adapt with them or ahead of them? And then technology comes in, you know, fairly sure. quickly into that conversation. But I, I think that we all went through that uh, event and some things changed a lot. Some things changed a little bit and some things didn't change. Sure. And I think, I think we need to kind of stay ahead of the things that did change and, you know, facilitate or at least be better at the things that didn't change because I think ultimately that's kind of that's kind of the, the constant is change, and we gotta we gotta stay ahead of that. One hundred percent. So I'm gonna reframe what you just said in two words: take care of your house. Because if you take care of your house, your people, the house is your business. The people, your people, will take care of your customers. That's number one. That's the first tip you get, which I love that tip, right? Yep. And the second thing is stay ahead of the game by educating yourself and learning about not only trends in our industry, but buying habits from our customers, how the markets are changing, the evolution of the hybrid workplace, whatever it is, educate yourself. Draw back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. So take care of your house and educate yourself. Yep. Are the two, those are great tips. So thank you for letting me put you on the spot for those because I think those are fantastic. Yeah, no, hey, no, no worries. And if you have any for me, I, I, I'm glad to take them too. So, you know, th that's not a really good question to ask a coach and a consultant and a business <laughs> advisor because we could spend the next hour with me giving you advice like that. But I will refrain for the benefit of all the listeners will refrain. But listen, um, Jorge, again, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you being guest number one on season four of the Trend Report. So thanks again very much. If our community would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? I think email would be great. So the email, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, know. we'll drop the email in the show notes as well as your LinkedIn profile. And hey, if you if you do reach out to him, be sure, excuse me, be sure that you let him know that you heard him here on the Trend Report. And that's why you're reaching out. Jorge, thank you again. I'm wishing all of you at Hendrickson an amazing 2023 and uh, look forward to maybe connecting with you in real life at Neocon. Yeah, for sure, Sid. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, really enjoyed the uh, the experience and uh yeah appreciate your interest in henriksen and uh we'll we'll see you soon thank you again thanks everybody we'll see you again in a couple of weeks thanks for joining me today on this episode of the trend report podcast i'm glad that you're here and i hope that you got some amazing value out of today's conversation for more about our podcast and this episode and our other episodes please visit my website at sidmeadows.com we look forward to seeing you next week and go out there and make today great